0: Welcome to the Wibbly, Wobbly, Timey, Wimey podcast!
1: I'm Usha Kelly, expert at applied analysis, and if I say the right words with the right emphasis at the right time, I can make men weep.
0: And I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and no mortal has power over me.
1: And we're here today to talk about The Shakespeare Code, the second episode of series three of Doctor Who.
0: The Shakespeare Code aired on April 7, 2007. It was written by Gareth Roberts and directed by Charlie Palmer.
1: Reminder that time isn't a straight line. It can twist into any shape and as such, this is a fully spoiled podcast. We might bring things in from later in the show, the comics, the books, the audio dramas, or even fan theories and articles.
0: With that out of the way, all the world's a stage. So let's get in the TARDIS. All right, IMDb synopsis. The Doctor takes Martha to London in 1599, where William Shakespeare's new play is being used by three witches in an evil plan. Such a shitty synopsis. Get it together, IMDb.
1: So bad. Literally none of them are good. Our synopsis is this is the one where Gareth Roberts tries his best to make Shakespeare as gimmicky and offensive as possible. Ah! I'm annoyed. I'm upset.
0: But on the bright side, while well, this episode is blech, our episode about it is going to be great because guess who's here? We have a guest! Is <laughs> this the
2: part where I jump in? This is hey, the part y'all. where you jump in, yes. <laughs> That's my cue. Hey gal! Thanks for having me. I'm Skye and I co-host the Queer Archive podcast with my partner Brenna. And we are a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast where we watch episodes of Doctor Who, shock, and we just talk about them with our community and I'm happy to be here.
0: We're so happy to have you here. I'm so hyped. You've been on our dream list of guests for so long. The collabs, they're happening.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure all of the listeners know how often we cite you and be like, by the way, don't even bother listening to us. Just go over to Queer Archives. Just they said everything better and smarter.
2: (laughs) There needs to be multiple queer podcasts about Doctor Who, you know, like there shouldn't be just the one. Same with podcasts hosted by fans of color. Like there should be so many that we're constantly referencing each other and We can host our own stuff and collaborate. And I think that's slowly but surely happening, which is super exciting. It is super exciting.
0: I'm super excited.
1: So, Sky, can you tell us a little bit about your journey with Doctor Who, like where it started, how you got to be making the queer archives and the sort of story behind that, and anything else you'd like to tell us about your journey with Doctor Who?
2: Of course, yeah. Brenna watched Doctor Who before me And that is absolutely 100% the reason why I started the show, to impress her. And it was early on in our relationship as friends where I just wanted her to like me so bad. And she talked a lot about the show. And so I was like, yeah, watch it. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. (laughs) Let's just say that. And of course, it turned into a love for the show. And fast forward how many years down the line where I'm the one kind of like trying to convince her to make the podcast with me. Cause I knew she, she's just brilliant at that kind of stuff. And I knew I wanted this to be something that we do together. And I had a lot of ideas and it was 100% inspired by uh, the black girls create Dr. Who podcast Tarbis, just seeing them be out there. I think y'all have similar experiences where if we see ourselves out there making content about the conversations that we have in our own circles around our virtual dinner table, then it's just so much easier to imagine ourselves doing that as well. So I got really inspired by listening to Tarbis pretty much to the point where I was talking back to the the speaker in my car commuting and listening to their episodes. And I was like, I need to make my own thing. And I hope that creating more podcasts as a really accessible medium just encourages other folks to do the same. Like I said, there just should be lots coming from our community because there's so much to talk about with Dr. Who. and we can always look at it from like a different angle. And yeah, it's really transformed how I interact with the show because it has introduced me to so many different people who I enjoy the show through. Part of it is just watching the show and enjoying it in my own house, sitting on my own couch. But a lot of it is interacting with fans, having these conversations, and just getting to nerd out together.
0: I totally identify with that because I love getting to... Interact with fans and friends, and that was so much of the inspiration for us in creating our podcast. And also, like, I remember when we met at Galley, especially what you're saying about like the virtual dinner table thing. I vibe with everything that you just said. See, this is why it's great to have it It as an actual conversation because it's like literally when I listen to your podcast, it's exactly that. Like, I talk back, like, exactly what you're saying. I always talk back to my speakers, and now we actually get to talk. Let's do it. It's
1: definitely that moment of you pause it and then you're like, but what about this point? And then you're like, they had the nerve not to respond to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So with that, do you want to get to talking about the Shakespeare code? Absolutely. Let's do this. All right. All right. So
1: my
2: favorite episode. No, I'm absolutely kidding. I'm going to spoiler alert. I
0: don't love this episode that much. I do <laughs> at all. Yeah. I don't love this episode that much either. Like Lucia and I we were saying before that this used to be an episode that we loved and then we watched it for this time and you're we like, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no.
2: Insert TikTok sound here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's definitely one of those episodes where like the version in your head is much better than the actual product. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, we were talking about this because I was curious if y'all had watched it closer to the air date and this is coming back to watching this episode as quite a different person, you know, mm-hmm. how many years down the road, mm-hmm. whereas I watched this episode much later, I think, than both of y'all. So I did not have an initial experience with it where I was, I don't know, in the moment and with 10's Run or closer to Ten's Run. I jumped into Doctor Who around the end of Eleven's series of his run. So it was much later, and I was like, this is wild. This is bananas.
0: I jumped into Doctor Who at the beginning of Eleven's run. So I basically watched 9, watched 10, watched Eleven's first season, and then watched season 6 live. And that was also all my freshman year of high school, which was honestly, probably the worst year of my life. And it is not an understatement to say that Doctor Who was one of the things that was like foundational in really helping save me at that point. Especially a lot of the episodes that I watched those first five seasons were episodes that I kind of clung to for a long time. I just really loved this episode for, it's funny, I loved this episode because I was really into Harry Potter. I was really into Shakespeare and I was really into witchcraft and all those (laughs) things (laughs) converge in this episode. But then watching this again, it's like, okay, the Harry Potter references are still good, but I don't love Harry Potter anymore. And then the Shakespeare references are terrible. Um, and the way it represents witchcraft is shitty so what do I do
2: everything is ruined
1: (laughs) yeah and now we have to contend with the fact that the doctor is a tough supporter so yay (laughs) like yeah (laughs) oops it happens oops happens to the best of us I guess yeah the this episode is really aged but i guess it also hasn't because one of the things that like i don't want to really spend too much time on but like one of the things i think it's appropriate to address is the fact that gareth roberts is a very vocal transfer and racist and has not at any point in time expressed any regret or apologies about things that he says and that's part and parcel that's right like it's woven into the fabric of this episode unfortunately
0: Yep. Yeah. There's so many points where it pops out, even from that first moment when the doctor and Martha like come out of the TARDIS and there's that total disregard of Martha's worry for her safety. And the doctor is just like, oh, walk around like you own the place. It's what I do. Or whatever he says.
1: Yeah, easy for you to say, you white attractive man. What the
0: fuck? He's like, oh, it's not so different from your time. And it's like, what? Yeah, I think that there's like
2: the nuance there, right? Because his statement, his dismissal was wrapped up in a statement that so profoundly displays his white privilege. Absolutely missing the point, right? Like y'all said, of course you can act like you own the place, but the idea, like the literal idea of white supremacy and racism is that that is only afforded to white men especially like Mm -hmm. a white good-looking man walking around doing that yep and it undercuts the idea that could have been done better which the two next episodes in Doctor Who that try to tackle head-on a similar idea when a Black companion's relationship to traveling in the past comes up and they express concern for their safety so that we get later on in Doctor Who And we could totally talk about these because they're really great comparisons to make throughout this episode. But Thin Ice and Rosa, two
0: of my favorite episodes, honestly, super
2: great. Yeah, and you could just track the like evolution, like this three-step evolution of Doctor Who through those that start here with Shakespeare Code, then we get a huge step up to Thin Ice, and then we get another step up to Rosa, and specifically how that question of a black companion traveling to the past, expressing their concern for their safety and how the doctor responds to that. And I think what even Thin Ice does better than Shakespeare code is the question of acknowledging that there actually are black people present in that time that they're going to. So it's less about Martha just being able to walk around, act like she owns the place and like that be all fine and dandy instead of making it about pointing out how whitewashed history is, which Thin Ice does really well, instead of the doctor doing that, he just dismisses her concern entirely, which he does not have to be concerned about, which is again, like just showing his privilege. And on top of that, not even thinking about her own safety, but going further to not acknowledge that, oh, I didn't think about that, which is what 12 does. He's like, I didn't have that thought, you did, let me course correct. And let's address it. He just dismisses her concern outright and be like, you shouldn't worry about that because actually London's totally the same. There's diversity in the past, blah, blah, blah." He just doesn't address the history there. And then 13, another step up where not only is she thinking about this alongside her companions in the moment, but then she leverages her privilege and makes sure that they engage this risk only on their own terms, right? So she takes it seriously. And I think that there's so much more to unpack if you compare those three episodes together. But that's like the first moment where you're like, okay, like you could have done something there. Someone who's written a lot about this and who's thought a lot about this is our dear friend, Amanda Ray Prescott. And I totally encourage you all to go to her Twitter because it is pinned as her tweet at the top of her profile, a link to a slide presentation and write up about this exact topic on comparing a few of these episodes and how Dr. Who kind of shines light on the history of Black British history and includes companions going back in the past and how they handle that. And this is a good example of like, outside of just having Black people there, you could have actually done something powerful with that. And I don't know if the author was trying to do that whether or not he was he didn't do it successfully
1: and it also completely dismisses the fact that Martha isn't exactly safe in her own time either like racism yep. is still very much a thing that hasn't been solved it's privilege all the way down like it's just a complete misunderstanding and unable to even comprehend the kind of vigilance that a black woman would have to have on her best day let alone Mm. in 1599
2: like yeah and unfortunately that's the step that doctor who still hasn't taken that the best that we get is where we can address that head-on in rosa in what 1990 or 1995 1955 at montgomery alabama but we still haven't gotten to the place in Doctor Who where we can talk about how even traveling in just space and not time, black companions will have concern for their safety with the doctor and the doctor needs to take that seriously. We're still at the dynamic of the doctor being white and always having to like think about that through their companion's eyes and never having enough of the show be about a black doctor and seeing that play out for them themselves. We're a few steps behind, and we can see this progress, but it is, woof, baby steps.
0: Talia from the future here. As you can surmise, we recorded this before shooty got was announcement. So we do have a black doctor now. Yay. Still baby steps. Absolutely still baby steps. But we're getting there, babes. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, and it also, like, just to another point, all of Shakespeare's comments about Martha and the way that he talks about her is just so uncomfortable and feels very unnecessary. Like, obviously, people in past times talked about black people differently but like the way the way he just said those things with his chest Mm. and like the doctor's reaction was just to go oh political correctness gone wrong and then move on and like Mm. disregard martha's reaction to it and her shock and just like keep plowing on ahead to what his agenda was just took me out
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely y'all were mentioning this before or referencing something that just gets brushed over is that again he's so dismissive <laughs> like one of my big notes in here is Ted is an asshole like ooh, for many reasons and we'll get into more but it's one thing to not think about the practicality of her safety and another just to not Be at all concerned or interested in how like there's an emotional impact there, right? There's like the weight of this history that she has to grapple with going into the past that he's just so uninterested about. And I think that it would be more interesting to see doctors like at least address that, at least be interested in that or acknowledge it. But it's definitely like in the background, or we can feel it, but. Yeah, to your point, Talia, this is another thing that Amanda definitely touches on where it's an annoying framing that the author puts this in because he's like trying to say there's always different ways that people are advocating to frame our language around how people want to be spoken about. So like at Gallifrey One is a great example where we had a guest come up for a Q&A and was not really intentional about the language that he was using as a white man asking a question to a stage full of three POC guests on the galley stage. And he just threw out the phrase like non-white at them. And it was like super, super uncomfortable as an audience member, let alone as someone being interviewed on stage as a guest of color. And obviously the language that he was using is super important and informs that dynamic. He did not say guests of color or people of color or actors of color. He said, so y'all are non-white. Like, as if he was trying to say that, like, the non-whiteness is very apparent here and it has to be addressed, blah, blah, blah. And so in this episode, they're like, oh, well, that means that we can just kind of make fun of the way that people... Frame from generation to generation, and how like the language of race evolves. And it's all just political correct nonsense because now y'all want to be called like POC, but before you wanted to be called this, and it sounds ridiculous. And it seems like it's a very weird, aggressive commentary on that that did not need to be made. But it was, in fact, based on Amanda's research, the phrases that people were advocating for at the time. But of course, to Martha's ears, super not cool to hear that. And then again, the doctor's just complete dismissal of that of how she might be receiving that because that's important.
1: And I feel like that could like there could have been like a really cool storyline about the fact that because like obviously Shakespeare was a 16th century white guy like he was mm-hmm. racist. That like, my mm-hmm. goodness, they weren't doing Othello, you know? <laughs> like that could have been a whole other kettle of fish. But like, um there could have been a really interesting storyline there about how like, or like even touching on like Martha's line about those are men dressed as women. Yeah.
0: And then the doctor being like London never changes, which like is.
1: There could have been a really interesting conversation about how theater evolves and like the way that theater and life sort of, reflect and mirror each other and how they influence each other and as you were saying Sky how that's evolved over time like this whole idea of old representation or like examples of representation that were like groundbreaking and fundamental cornerstones of where we could go to the next day then being dismissed as regressive and backwards and it's this complete dismissal of the history of how history is built and how progress is built
0: yep yeah especially like talking about progress is making me think of how about how the doctor is like this whole concept of how the doctor says that Martha is like from Freedonia. and Shakespeare keeps questioning her about like oh this place where like Like a woman can be a doctor, and then she's like where a woman can do what she likes. And I'm just very interested in the way this episode talks about women in the context of the Karionites, all Mm -hmm. being women, and it's the species of witches. So, like from the way they're talked about, they're all women because they're all referred to as like sisters are referred to with feminine pronouns lilith refers to both of the other carrionites as her mothers so like for me i definitely read that as oh so they're definitely gay yes this all feels very queer coded to me i have a lot of feelings about it and i'm not really sure how to articulate my feelings but they are strong that they are strong. <laughs> no, I picked up on the queer codedness too. So I just wanted
2: to jump in with, I see you affirmation. <laughs> Did you have more? Sorry,
0: no. But it's also the way that first of all, so all of these witches, all of these magic users who, again, focus on words and like the power of words, the power of language, are defeated by Shakespeare and the Doctor who are men. And first of all, to even break free of this prison, they needed Shakespeare to free them. And then he was also the one who trapped them again. So they're supposedly so powerful, but they're still dependent on this man.
2: For sure. It feels like all of the trappings of, you know, how witches are depicted and demonized in literature historically, and on top of that, like transphobia, and on top of that, like just queer phobia mm-hmm. in general, just kind of all wrapped up. I wish that the witches were more compelling and that the writing was more compelling because, like, it's like if camp was trying to be campy, which like negates the camp, but I, I see right through a lot of the fear that is behind like so much of this plot, and I agree, just It's just like super, it's so untrusting of women and especially the way that the episode opens up on this like supposedly beautiful, alluring woman deceiving this man into her home. And then before taking him to bed, like she flips it on him, Mm -hmm. deceives him enough to get him upstairs, but then she transforms into this monstrous, thing that again, like you're picking up on is like queer coded. And it just feels like it fits right in with his transphobia. I don't even remember the author's name, but y'all know the one. And just because of typically how transphobia is manifested and articulated as this monstrous thing. And yeah, I wish it was all more compelling, but on top of that, on top of it falling flat, it's just also like the gross premise and not at all like the interesting parts of witchcraft and the things that like all the things that we love about witchiness <laughs> it's just like the tropy trope stuff and just like camp that isn't even camp
1: also the weaponizing of sexuality specifically like this idea of The queer woman being predatory or dangerous, which feeds right back into this fear of like the witchcraft trials and the Salem trials and all of that sort of stuff. Of that, the fear of witches, which the doctor actually articulates, like, I can't tell them it's witches, otherwise they'll think it's witches, right? What that actually leads back to in our real world is the fear of the empowered woman, like someone who lives without the need of a man and can wield their own power and divine their own destiny the purge that happened there removed so much knowledge and so much power that was traditionally held by women and the consequences of that bleed into today
0: so this is going to get a little bit high level and niche but reality So when I was in grad school, I took a class called Magic and Witchcraft in the Ancient Near East. And my final paper was about the demonization of the witch as an illegitimate practitioner of magic in the Ancient Near East. And it was basically about how witches who were women were basically seen as illegitimate practitioners of magic as compared to the... Men like exorcists, I might be mispronouncing this because it's been a while, but like Ashibu is like the Sumerian word, um, or Akkadian, I don't know. It's been a while since I actually how dare you! <laughs> I forget exactly where the word comes from, but basically, the whole premise of it was that men were the only legitimate practitioners of magic, and women, witches who practiced magic, were bad. And so, this is very much making me think of how. Shakespeare who like is the one with the power in the words and like the doctor also with his science or whatever and his grasp of that like the men are like able and like even the doctor who names the carrionites like when he does the magic and the words and everything that's good but the carrionites which is women bad women um, equal bad <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, even the doctor with his time lordy connection brain thingy that he does pull out this episode is very magic adjacent adjacent mm-hmm. uh, adjacent if you think about it but no it's like science it's like time lord shit it's like not that level so um you know totally different category and it's always been framed through the doctor who up until this point has been a man And I even like, okay, so I haven't thought about this like too deeply. So absolutely you can hashtag it ain't that deep, but like (laughs) I do, I'll throw in there a a little bit of an eye roll just at the fact that of course history works in such a way that we're talking about Shakespeare is the episode that we're doing right now. We're talking about words. So it elevates the words of Shakespeare he wrote and he invented over all the other literature because that's just how history works and i just have to eye roll a little bit because here it literally gives him such grandiose importance that these aliens they're aliens right they are aliens yes okay cool i was like yeah so these aliens they could choose anyone any place any time anything and they choose him for their plans because we believe he is the God words. And I just think about how like the role of the Latin language in like his work and the expelliarmus word that, you know, is at the climax of this episode. And of course it like wraps back into JK, which like is just the cherry on top of this transphobic cake, you know, like, of course we obviously didn't know at the time, but wow, what a probably not coincidence. They're probably in a book club together or something, (laughs) but like now we know, and it just adds another layer to this, but yeah, like even in her books, the role that the Latin language plays in the right way to do magic, the right way that witchcraft is taught is very much emphasis on Latin spells and how that's because the Latin language is linked to authority, history, control. And of course, when we say that we mean Western authority, Western history, Western control. And that's the version that JK builds with her books. And that's the version here that is elevated because that's Shakespeare's. That's what he leans on. And so much of his words are rooted in that language. Yeah. It's just another thing that was in the back of my mind, just comparing those two different powers that obviously his is the most authoritative power because of who he is and the influence that he has had on the world because we've highlighted his works for all of those different reasons
0: yeah and I feel like we've highlighted Shakespeare so much and in so many different ways that it was inevitable that Doctor Who would do an episode on him but it feels like The way that they did this episode was also just so, it feels weird to say self-aggrandizing because the self is Shakespeare, but like it was aggrandizing. (laughs) It was like weird. The way it's building him up is so, I mean, it's like you said, the way it's reaffirming this institutional power just feels very icky to me. And it's weird because I like Shakespeare. I like his plays. I like his sonnets a lot. Absolutely. Which is why, weirdly enough, part of the reason I dislike this episode is even though it does build Shakespeare up and draw from so much of it, is it does it badly. It doesn't even do a good job. Mm. (laughs) It doesn't even do a good job.
1: (laughs) One of the reasons that I initially really liked this episode is generally how Shakespeare is portrayed because I do think as a Shakespeare nerd and as an English nerd I find it really frustrating when people are like oh Shakespeare's boring like I can't read it it's all just these old fuddy-duddy words once you actually get into the language and once that's accessible to you and once you can read it if you've got a good teacher and you've got a good mentor it gets really fun and it was lowbrow entertainment right like he was writing for the masses and so there are a lot of like bawdy jokes and cheap shots so like the introduction and also there's a whole thing about how like we don't actually know what he looks like like the image that you have in your head of Shakespeare like when you think of Shakespeare and you think of you know the balding guy in the rough there's actually no confirmation that that is Shakespeare it's a portrait that people have found and have attributed as Shakespeare but we actually don't have a way of confirming that so like the whole introduction of him was like this much younger suave looking guy who's like playing to the crowd that's a really good introduction of flipping the script and like using what we do and don't know about this man to introduce this level of intrigue and interest to the episode and again I would have loved if they'd like addressed the fact that he was a 16th century man so has like the 16th century man opinions on race and gender like in a way that was good
0: <laughs> yeah that'd been great my specific and fierce gripe with this that i just i cannot let go is the sonnet at the end the sonnet at the <laughs> end is like nails on a chalkboard i don't know if either of you know anything about shakespeare's sonnets Listen, I'm just
2: going to apologize that Brenna is not here, seeing as she is basically a Shakespeare scholar. Uh, <laughs> she hates this episode too, so uh, <laughs> but she would have had something to say. She would definitely agree with all you're saying, Lucia, about hopefully breathing fresh air into the you know misinterpretation of Shakespeare being super highbrow and the fact that like most of his stuff is boob and fart jokes. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of her students, me included when I was learning this, just clutching our pearls, learning what it's actually about, all the body jokes. So 100% agree with that. But yeah, I'm sorry that you got me instead of Brenna on this very Shakespeare-centered episode. I'll do
0: my best. So it's been a while since I actually like strictly studied Shakespeare, but the sonnets are like widely thought to be broadly about two people. The first chunk of the sonnets are about a young man. And the second chunk of the sonnets are about the dark lady, which is widely thought to be about her dark hair a lot of the time. Sometimes people think it's about like dark skin, but a lot of times people say that it's probably just about her dark hair because he's probably a racist because some people are like, oh, there's a line about her breast being done, but it's probably... Anyway, we can talk about that whole thing later. But anyway, the point is, Sonnet 18 is in the first half. The Shall I Compare Thee To A Summer's Day is Sonnet 18, which is in the first half, so it's about a young man. And it's not about Martha. It's not about Martha. He had a whole lover who was a young man, and it was not about Martha.
2: Isn't that the point that like she's offended that it sounds like he's gearing up to go off the cuff, write her a sonnet out of the pure admiration he has of this beautiful woman sitting in front of him. And then he goes off and says one of his sonnets that she knows is not about her. And she's like, rude. I totally interpreted that scene that way. Also, speaking of him writing a sonnet about a man I do somewhat enjoy the 57 academics just punch the air. Great line. The author meant it facetiously, of course, but I loved it for my own reasons.
0: Yeah, no, I just,
2: I don't.
1: But even that line, right? Like, like it feels like I also kind of like, I've, I've flipped back and forth on that line because by putting that line in earlier, right, specifically in reference to the Doctor, like Shakespeare is flirting with the Doctor. And then later on, using Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day on Martha, to me, what that reads as is deliberately erasing Shakespeare's actual queerness, (laughs) like the actual documented stuff that we've got and then inserting and then giving credit to. Like like making it, making it himself and then being
0: just gal paling
1: it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly why I don't like the 57 Academics Punch the Air. And I don't like using Shall I Compare the to a Summer's Day to be about Martha. Because the thing is, even if he was just reusing a sonnet that he already had, it's not entirely obvious one of the things episode emphasizes is shakespeare's ability to improvise do things off the cuff write a whole scene of a play in a night it's established by the episode that writing a sonnet off the cuff is something that he would totally be able to do it's not something that people who aren't scholars of shakespeare are necessarily expected to know that all of his sonnets were about like dedicated to or about specific people so It could be that someone who's just like a casual learner of Shakespeare could just not know that. (laughs) And the author took advantage of
2: that rather than giving him his queerness.
0: Yeah. So rather than giving Shakespeare his queerness, it's basically making it a one-off line about the doctor. Yep. Of course. And it's just- For laughs. Just for laughs. Yeah. And that moment also feels like The word I want to use is tokenizing, but I don't know if that's the right word. Also 57. There's a lot more than 57. Like when I did, (laughs) when I did, when I did did my queer readings class in college, we read two Shakespeare plays and like dozens of his sonnets. (laughs) We had like a whole Shakespeare unit. Like half the class was spent reading Shakespeare it was a pre-1800s class yeah why? why is not in half of cambridge <laughs> like- that's way more
2: than 57 people there just seems to be a lot of like you're saying erasure <laughs> happening here yeah. you like waving the hands it was straight the whole time mm. you know like racism isn't a big deal in all of british history it's chill and then we're like people are gay Stephen, let shakespeare be
1: gay even the fact that he's sort of portrayed as this womanizer it would have been so yeah it would have been (laughs) so easy to include like one male lover
2: yeah and of course it happens to the doctor which feels like it's illegitimate like Hmm. whenever it happens to doctors like oh the doctor's so alluring that even men are attracted to him so it doesn't feel real like they just play it off for jokes
0: yeah oh my god it's like when someone throws in a line where it's like all the women loved him and some of the men like a line like that.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> like oh, you've seen that
0: line in fiction before. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we haven't even gotten to the point about Bedlam and the portrayal of mental health. Oh god. We need to
2: get stepping for sure. What is the next topic? For the most part I have like a shit ton of random random notes. <laughs> if I find a place for I'm great if I don't it's chill. But, um, Um, yeah, uh, other than 10 being an asshole and race and my third main big like topic that I have multiple notes on is actually the overlap with haunting a Villa de So other than that, I say, take us where you want to go and I'll follow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I do want to get to the overlap with haunting a Villa de which I wish I knew you were going to talk about that because that's next on my lineup of my. 13 rewatch. So I would have I would have watched that. Yeah. Um, my roommate and I are watching 13 together. So there's a couple things wrong here. And I think part of it is just like 16th century attitudes about mental health are much different from 21st century attitudes about mental health. And like that's something that I always struggle with and always pains me to think about because like, honestly, like I haven't done a whole bunch of research on it, but I feel like it's probably a reasonable representation. It's just a distressing representation. So there's two things that distress me about the scene when they're in Bedlam. One of them is Martha and Shakespeare's conversation. The other one is how... When Martha is like shouting to be let out and is having, is panicking about the carrionite, the doctor is again dismissive and he's like, that's not going to help. Everyone is shouting. And the third is the doctor using his mind powers to basically just rewind everything that's happened to Peter in the past year in order to figure out what's been happening to him and the lack of autonomy that Peter has in the way that the doctor basically is just using this person who is mentally ill to like take information from them. And I'm wondering if Peter hadn't died, what would the doctor have done? (laughs) Yeah, just left him (laughs) there. Just left him there. It definitely seemed like it. It definitely seemed like that was what the doctor was going to do. And it's like, It was so manipulative. It's so manipulative.
2: It was not a good
0: look. It was not a good look. The doctor was just taking what he needed and leaving. Because he made no efforts. And especially because, specifically it was the conversation between Martha and Shakespeare and the doctor that was distressing me. Because Martha was upset about all the patients, prisoners, being whipped all the time. And the doctor is basically not sympathizing with her at all, like not helping her through the like trauma that she has of grappling with what is going on. Because this is a very traumatic feeling for her, being in this space.
1: Especially as a doctor, right?
0: Especially as a doctor. This is her field. And so seeing this is very traumatic for her. And then the doctor turns around and gets all righteous and says like, it helps if you don't whip them. The doctor obviously agrees with Martha because he goes and shouts at the guard, but doesn't actually verbally agree with Martha or empathize with her in any way. It's very convenient that
2: he got to be righteous in that moment and look like the hero for a question mark standing up for her. These patients, they, one of them, he just absolutely manipulated into giving him what he needed. And like, he was very tender and sweet up until the moment that he knew he was going to be able to get the information. And then he flipped into typical, what I think is like a lot of tens meanness. Like he has this particular brand of meanness that I think shows up a lot. He just turned that 10 meanness on. (laughs) And I was like, dang, like. That is super, like I said, not a good look for you, Ten. But yeah, of course, like when the moment came and he had his opportunity to slip in his little clever remark, he could totally look like a hero. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's written throughout the whole episode, right? Of Martha voicing these concerns or complaints or ideas and then Ten dismissing them outright. And then literally five minutes later being like, you were right, but I'm presenting it as my own idea. Right at the very beginning, when she's like, "Oh, do I have to be careful? Do I have to like not touch anything or like not interfere? Because like the butterfly effect, I don't want to like kill my own grandfather." And he's incredibly dismissive of her. And then later on, right? Like, it's like Back to the Future, and you're like, "Yeah, that's what she was asking." Bro. <laughs> what the? Fuck? Yeah, yeah.
2: Martha, <laughs> then, how have you not been thinking about this this whole time?
1: <laughs> and then also, she asks, like, "Is it witchcraft?" And then he's like, no, of course not. Well, yes, it is. But no, it's not. Well, yes, it is. And I was like, I'm at a loss for words. Like, please. And then, of course, the awful scene in the bedroom where he's like comparing her to Rose. And like, it's just, she's
0: treated so horribly. Yeah. And, and this is, this is also a small, a small thing in the grand scheme of things but he gives her a loose toothbrush that was just in his pocket and it's like why would you put that in your mouth if it was just loose in his pocket like didn't even come in a wrapper it was just hanging out in his pocket probably has lint on it sorry this is a tangent
2: <laughs> no I agree like I thought it was gonna be I I saw it like happening right because I forgot what happened this episode I was like oh when I've doctor's like super weird antics where they do something and they think it's normal and then the companion gives them a look like what the hell are you on about like I'm not gonna fucking take that nasty ass toothbrush but it's not framed like that she's like oh thank you for this toothbrush I would not be brushing my teeth with that no no it didn't even come in like some plastic like have a little cap um not on that was like next to his sweaty armpit absolutely not Absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay. Also, the psychic paper. So remember when at the beginning of the episode, when he shows Willie shakes the psychic paper, and uh, he's like, "Yo, that's blank." Blah, blah blah. And then Martha's like, "No, it's not. It says blah 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 blah." And then he's like, "Oh, he's so annoyed with Martha, and just like diminishes like." And she's like a fucking smart human being, but he doesn't give a shit. Like he just diminishes her because she hasn't been familiar with something like psychic paper because she hasn't been traveling on the TARDIS that long. And he's just like, I hate starting over and having to like re-explain something as simple as psychic paper. Rose would know what this is about. And I was just like, you are so annoying. I really don't like this part of 10 when he's just an asshole to everyone around him that isn't Rose.
1: I always read that as him being annoyed that the psychic paper didn't work and that he has to start from scratch with Shakespeare rather than dismissing Martha outright. Mm -hmm. Like, he's still dismissing her because he's like, oh, I'll explain it later. I don't really have the time. Um, Your concerns and curiosities and like distress, like the fact that you're confused right now is not actually of importance. I'm talking to Shakespeare. Like, I mean, he does do that. (laughs) The only reason why
2: I don't read it that way is because either the line before or right after is him calling Shakespeare a genius for not being fooled by the psychic paper. So he's actually impressed that he isn't fooled by it. So I don't think that he would be frustrated with Shakespeare, but maybe I'm predisposed to seeing 10 be frustrated with Martha because he does it a lot. So I didn't think about that that reading.
0: Yeah, I also read it as 10 being frustrated That he had to start over from scratch talking to Shakespeare but I also totally think that you're um, I think that 10 was frustrated with Martha and that's what made him say it but he was excusing it by making it seem like he was saying it about Shakespeare because it can be explained as him saying it about Shakespeare but he could have been meaning it to be about Martha. Yes. But I feel like we have been talking for a while and I want to move to the next topic because, yeah, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts about how this is like hunting the Phil Diodati, which Lucia hasn't seen.
2: Oh, yo, like, can I, any spoilers? Should I stay away from
0: anything?
1: Go ahead, go ahead.
0: Yeah, feel free to spoil away. But I'm just letting you know, this is going to be a mean you conversation, <laughs> but I'm
2: excited for it. Okay. This wasn't something that was on my radar at all going into mm-hmm. this episode. It was just something that I was like, Hey, that reminds me of the haunting of Villa de Odadi. thing, a theme or a moment that happened. I love that episode. So it's really cool to Had these comparisons and then they just kept happening so I was like okay this Mm -hmm. is this is a thing so I don't know if they really amount to anything but it was enough where I wanted to kind of map it out a couple of the things that I noticed and you may have more Talia one is I was just thinking like it is wild that out of all the episodes there's so much overlap with haunting of Villa Deodati but everything that I saw for the most part Maxine did with this episode try to do better <laughs> <laughs> and we're all surprised right okay so like for example fixed point in time nonsense aside in haunting setting the stage with the iconic line history is vulnerable tonight loved it so profoundly well done mm-hmm. um, and that kind of set up one of the themes of that episode about the weight of words and that's absolutely mm-hmm. a theme obviously in this episode Shakespeare code been haunting the climax of the episode is probably the doctor's speech one of the most quotable lines in that speech is words matter and I just I just think that for many reasons it was just done so much better and so much more to the point and succinctly and profoundly in Haunting mm-hmm. of Villa Day of Daddy, without slapping us over the head with it, the theme of how words impact people and how they shape culture and how much they mean to us personally and at large. Like I got that really strongly. Mm-hmm. And then here it felt like in Shakespeare Code, it was just continually undercut by <laughs> the things that we've already discussed in the episode because of the framing of the writer. And there was like a few moments in Shakespeare code that I appreciated, but it's really hard to divorce it from everything else that we've been talking about. One line is you can change people's minds just with words in this place. And I think that's pretty cool because I do resonate with that in how words in you know certain pieces of media or culture, especially as a queer person with how it has changed our lives to see representation or our stories played out in certain stories, even if they are coded, or even if we have to like read between the lines to see ourselves, like that has mattered to so many of us. So I can like pick it out of Shakespeare code and take it with me, even though the surrounding context isn't my favorite. But yeah, all in all, I just think that it was a shared theme between the two episodes and Haunting did it better. And then they also share The fact that they're both about historical figures and we've already mentioned like the things that we loved about Shakespeare's depiction in this episode, but overall, like I didn't feel super moved by Shakespeare as a character where I totally did by all of the historical figure characters in Haunting. It just felt like an intimate storyline in a way that Shakespeare Co didn't. And yes, they were historical characters whose lives have been well-documented for sure. But in the Doctor Who episode, it felt like they were real people first and historical figures second. And in this episode of Shakespeare, he felt very much like we are talking about the idea of a historical figure the whole time. He never felt like a real person. And of course, like both of these historical figures were not fooled by psychic paper. And I thought that was super well done and funny in Haunting. And again, the Doctor in both times, they're like, that's super impressive. It either takes very little imagination or very high extreme amounts of imagination to outwit psychic paper in Doctor Who thus far. So that was like another parallel that I didn't expect. I think Haunting seem to address race better, ironically, even though it didn't come up that much. Um, it was set in the past. So I think Ryan and Yaz's presence was done well because it felt natural in that setting because of course it was natural in that setting, but it didn't mean that white supremacy didn't inform their treatment in some moments, even if it was super subtle. So Ryan in Haunting was assumed to be from the colonies as if he couldn't have not been born and raised in the British Isles like let's say Graham. So there was like these pieces of dialogue of how he was treated. And of course, hearing Lord Byron's intentional in front of the whole crew, like pontificating on the British Empire's expansion and the legacy of conquest and that whole, like really annoying. And it was well done because they made it very clear that he was being an annoying character in that moment. Like we were all audibly eye rolling at him, but like the presence of racism was still in the episode. And that was important that happened. Whereas my relationship to how Shakespeare code handles race is much different and I don't hold it in high regard by any means. Okay. And then lastly, to wrap it up, I just liked how the doctor in both stories have like this insistence on, they're not being something like witches and then in haunting there was the insistence that there's no ghosts and then by the end they're like oh unless there are witches <laughs> or ghosts like they totally just portray that assumption slash insistence on their companions that are questioning that idea so it leaves room in the show for that mystery which I love
0: yeah no I appreciate all of that especially especially because The ghosts in Haunting Vildiadati, in the way that we don't ever get an answer for how Graham got those sandwiches, an explanation (laughs) for those ghosts, drives me bananas. I need to know. I need to know. But also... Haunting is also the episode that gave us that Daddy 13 picture. So for that, I will be forever grateful. But some of the other things that I noticed that's connections between those two episodes is one, how 10 was like, oh, I was just going to give you a quick trip in the TARDIS,
1: but I Mm. guess we
0: can stay. And how 13 was like, I just wanted to like pop in to like see Frankenstein but there's a greater mystery here. Let's figure it out. And then the other thing I noticed was how these episodes referenced big historical events without really talking about them. Um, Specifically how the Shakespeare Code really talked a lot about the plague without talking about the plague. Like about how Shakespeare's son died. It talks about how Dolly Bailey how it made no sense for her to die of fright because she sat out three bouts of the plague in her inn and then in haunting it talks about the year without a summer and for those of you who don't know and who haven't seen haunting because this is not the episode we're talking about the year without a summer is basically in 1816 there was severe climate abnormalities that caused global temperatures to like decrease and made it so that the summer temperatures in Europe were the coldest on record between 17 something and like 2000. It was just a really cold summer. And it was basically because of like a massive eruption of a volcano in um, Indonesia that caused like huge climate disruption everywhere. And they're both episodes that basically talked about big historical events that were super relevant at the time and were like relevant to the plot somewhat, but also were like talked around.
2: Yeah. I like how they're a like a backdrop to the episode, but the story isn't centered on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But also I feel like we should talk about favorite moments, least favorite moments, and then maybe here on the atom after that. Let's do it so lucia what were your favorite and least favorite moments since we excluded you from the last <laughs> yeah, little bit of conversation you can go first i think
1: oh god it's actually difficult to find a favorite moment which is really <laughs> <upsetting>. <laughs> Ooh, that's rough
0: that's rough buddy
1: my favorite moment is probably when the doctor is talking about the power of theater in mm-hmm. the globe and they're like trying to figure it out it's also the one time that like the doctor like gives Martha any kind of positive reinforcement which is nice (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah like there's a reason I chose it for my being at the top of the show today the power of theater and the power of story is very important to me least favorite moment again opposite reasons there are so many (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's the bedroom scene. It's the scene where he's like, there's something right in front of me and I can't see it. All that kind of garbage. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is going to be easy. We have the same favorite least favorite moments because you write. right. That's the only good point of the episode. And also that's my least favorite moment, but specifically the point where he says Rose would know because why would Rose know anything? <laughs> It's
2: like when you romanticize something that you no longer have, and you just totally make up the idea
0: in your head, they're like,
2: this thing or this person would do this.
0: It's like my cat, who I love, who died, and I miss him a lot. But he also used to like, scratch up all my stuff and vomit on things you don't you don't think about that part yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i don't think about that part i just miss him rose a lot. did the
2: same thing she like scratched and vomited on everything all the time right
1: i remember that. <laughs> I refuse to believe that rose retained any information about shakespeare from school i refuse to believe that she learned anything from any of her shakespeare units <laughs> that's not where her mind was
0: oh boy
2: all right did you have a or You have the
1: same least favorite moment you said?
0: I have the same favorite moment and the same least favorite moment.
1: Do you want to talk about why it's your favorite moment? Just so we can boost up a little positivity.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's my favorite moment because I also think that it's a great message about theater. And also because he says, Martha Jones, I like you. And that's the only nice thing he's ever said about Martha. So far, No, he said really nice things about her. And he was really nice to her in Infinite Quest, which is a Patreon-only episode. So you can only listen to that episode we recorded if you are a patron of ours. But he was really nice to her in that episode. That episode should be canon. That's because Martha is the best. Yeah, Martha is the best. And Ten does not deserve her. Ten is a fool. Ten is a fool. Honestly, like, the amount that I wish she could be 13's companion honestly.
2: <laughs> no, but really like even, even Manta Gilla has had that, like, let's see Yaz and Martha and 13 just kick it. And when I say it, I mean, ass, cause they would kick ass like, damn. Yeah. And Bill, I want Bill on that TARDIS too. That could maybe like put me over the top and <laughs> it would be too much to handle.
0: Yeah. No, I might dream team. I might ascend to a new
2: plane. Yeah, into queer heaven, (laughs) queer space heaven. Absolutely. Yeah, Martha is the best. And I'm going to skirt around the typical format of favorite moment because y'all chose the only answers (laughs) possible in this this episode. So I'm just going to say Martha is my favorite moment. Mm, Yep, it'll work in this episode because despite the writing falling short and being what it is, she's still rad. And like, I loved her first line in the episode because she's like, no, but really, bro, you have to tell me how it works. How does time travel work? And they're like flying in space and the TARDIS is going bananas. And she's like, okay, but like, tell me, I need to know. And of course the doctor's like, you don't want to know. I I can't deal with that right now. But I just loved how curious she is because like y'all said, Martha asks the best questions and I love when it pops up like that.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing about both Martha and Bill as companions is how much I love them as companions, but so many of their episodes I can't bear to watch because while they're excellent companions, they're some of my favorite companions, I love them as characters. And like, Freema and Pearl are some of the best actors that Doctor Who has had. Their arcs have been so terrible <laughs> that I find it hard to watch. Like I was tweeting about this the other day, which is going to be months and months ago, once this episode finally comes out, that I love Bill as a character, but I can't watch past Knock Knock in season 10. After- the end with Knock Knock. end with Knock Knock. I end with Knock Knock and I don't watch past that.
2: <laughs> knock Knock, the end.
0: Knock Knock, the end. <laughs>
2: Knock, knock, not who's there. We don't even go there.
0: (laughs) Knock, knock. It's over. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's totally fair. Also, uh, Martha is a queen for telling Willie that his breath stinks at the end. Just pure icon. Yeah. I hate that they like put us through all of that really forced compulsive heteronormativity the whole episode. (laughs) But I'm glad that she ended out like a queen.
0: Oh my God. The absolute commitment. That this episode had to disgusting 16th century teeth. Why is so much of Doctor Who obsessed with disgusting (laughs) teeth?
2: It continues. It is still a current theme. Every era, every showrunner has invested in that theme.
0: (laughs) I feel bad for anyone who watches Doctor Who and has a teeth phobia except they probably don't watch Doctor Who anymore (laughs) because they have a teeth phobia. But also, I never talked to you about this before, Skye, but do you also have an issue with the fact that the main villain of series 11 is always called Tim Shaw and that's not actually his name?
2: When we did this episode, Brenna brought that up and I did not really because to me it felt like a punch up where he is just such a representation of space colonialism and quote unquote white supremacy that making fun of his name felt like it was getting at his ego as like an alien that took himself way too seriously and Mm -hmm. didn't deserve that. But I think I landed on, hey, call people by their names. And because it was a name that of course didn't sound white and then she turned it into a very white sounding name that is the part that felt the ickiest to me um like the how that typically happens is we try to translate it into a like white sounding name so that we can pronounce it we can understand it and we can learn it and get familiar with it because it's like to this particular character in the role that he plays it still in some ways feels like a punch-up which is good but yeah
0: that's why i have i have complicated feelings about it because it's like on the one hand it's a punch-up but on the other hand that's not his name (laughs) yep yeah anyway that's another tangent you actually have seen that episode though lucia
1: of 13 i've seen the episode with the pregnant guy on with the (laughs) patine.
0: you haven't seen demons of the punjab which is a severe offense to me Like, I am personally offended that you haven't seen Demons of the Punjab.
2: Oh, first I thought you meant the episode, but you mean the fact that
0: Lucia hasn't seen it. Yeah, no, I am personally offended that Lucia hasn't watched Demons of the Punjab. I have a tattoo dedicated to Demons of the Punjab and Lucia hasn't seen it. It'll happen. It'll happen.
1: It's gonna happen. It's, It's just the same as like, we had this conversation very early on in, like, I made this decision and I brought Talia screaming and kicking with me that <laughs> we were going to watch every single episode. Um, it'll happen eventually.
0: If you aren't caught up on 13 by the centenary, I am going to buy a ticket to Melbourne and sit you down and make you watch them. Ooh, an ultimatum. I mean, that's fair. That is a reasonable request. Come on.
1: Only if I get to feed you properly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh
0: how about this? I will commit that for every Doctor Who episode you watch of 13, I will have a date where I eat three meals a day. I will go on a hunger strike until you watch, (laughs) until you watch all of 13's episodes. (laughs)
1: Lucia from the future here. Um, So, update. I have not watched all of 13, but also Talia has not gone on a hunger strike. So we're all winning. I have watched Demons of the Punjab now, and it was phenomenal, and I can't wait to talk about it with all of you. But you will have to wait for my full thoughts. I did do a... uh, Oh Lord, whatever it's called. Um, when I watched it on Twitter and commented about it, you can find it if you scroll back. I don't do those anymore. They were draining and awful. Uh, <laughs> now I just talk to Talia about them, so you'll hear that unknown in about five years. See you then. Bye. <laughs> uh, anyway, here in the edit. Stop me if you think I'm overstepping, but I think we're pretty clear on who the Adam is. (laughs) That's all.
0: I think the doctor is the Adam.
1: Yeah, what a dick. Stop being mean to Martha. Sky, do you have an alternative to? So the Adam, um, I'm not sure. I'm always unsure about whether we need to explain the Adam to the guests. The Adam is not necessarily the villain, but it is the person who was the worst. Yeah, I hate
2: imagine if i was like i don't know this is okay like let's really talk about this no absolutely i might have to kick you out of the zoom yeah. that would be the like i've been kidnapped line to like immediately distrust me for sure
0: yeah no i think i um, treated yeah.
1: martha brilliantly actually <laughs> oh god
0: <laughs> <they>? oh no <laughs> yeah who's the hero I mean i want to give it to martha but, but she wasn't allowed enough autonomy to do anything exactly <laughs> do we have to give the hero to shakespeare i don't wanna
2: does he deserve
0: it like he did send the carrionites back to their little crystal okay ball. if we're
2: using that logic then yeah let's just give it to martha because she put the nail in the coffin and said Expeliarmus. even yes, though
0: let's give it to I- Martha
2: all right she, she had the final time.
0: word she had the final right. word yeah let's give it to martha all right now grading production a real mix
1: the actual sets and everything everything looks gorgeous it looks off the time there's some fun little cgi moments but <laughs> Maybe- apparently
2: it was one of the most costly stories ever produced in this series because of that set design specifically the house at the beginning which they immediately reused as much as possible so at least there's that
1: (laughs) yeah there was some like really odd directorial choices though both Lilith which the other thing that I didn't really bring up in the body of the episode but like the fact that her name is Lilith and this guy is not like that's suspicious maybe like (laughs) oh goodness but so in the intro uh Lilith like speaks directly to camera which is a choice like that's very much you don't do that normally I'm like okay fold (laughs) fold okay we're doing this so then that introduces the idea of breaking the fourth wall and like borders between fiction and reality which like this episode kind of half sometimes not really deals with like It's (laughs) it's <laughs> it touches on it and then Peter does it as well he looks directly into the camera but like I cannot for the life of me figure out why it doesn't make sense it's just really
0: strange. I didn't notice. Are you kidding? It I did notice. Gl-
1: it always pulls me out i just don't understand why that because because generally like in our like day-to-day television and film specifically because film is like a direct follow-on from theater there's the idea of the fourth wall right the invisible wall the wall that doesn't exist between the stage and the audience and unless you're doing like a specifically non naturalistic performance, the wall exists for the actors, for the characters, it doesn't exist for the audience. And this is where the idea of breaking the fourth wall comes in is when characters directly address the audience. And that's how you get like characters like Deadpool. Breaking the fourth wall is like a thing and it's notable and it's done with purpose because you are specifically breaking the suspension of disbelief. Of this idea of a contained world but there's no purpose to it
0: it's not used there's nothing it's just really weird okay i promise i didn't notice it wasn't that weird it's weird to me (laughs) okay well maybe you're weird (laughs) um
1: maybe like a three
0: i thought it was really i thought it was really good i thought the production was good I was gonna give it a four. What do you think, Sky? It's so hard to do
2: these episodes that were far removed from the air date. It is really hard. Can you tell me what did you give Smith and
0: Jones? A three, and we gave Runaway Bride a four. Smith and Jones a three. Okay. I know Smith and Jones is your favorite episode. I'm sorry. We gave it a we gave it a D minus. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
2: no. <laughs> I mean, Martha is obviously my favorite part of that episode as well. And it only goes so far when, you know, the rest of it is not as cool as Martha, but it's still, it's still a fun episode. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Production, i rate a little higher than writing. Of course, writing is going to be like real, real low, yeah. but are we there yet? Are we just doing production? We're not there yet. We're just doing production. Okay. Cause at the time it was just like really expensive but that doesn't equate to quality I'm gonna go three
1: yeah okay. three writing I know it's a small thing and like obviously you have to do it for the plot of the show to work but Gareth Roberts attempts at trying to mimic Shakespeare's writing
0: was not good no <laughs> it, was it was real bad it was so bad I really uh, want it oh god this, this is episode buddy. This episode, can we give it like a 0. 0.5 for writing? <laughs> You're
2: like doesn't
0: even deserve a whole integer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think we've ever given writing a zero before. And I don't know that it deserves a full zero, but I don't know that it deserves a one either.
2: <laughs> okay, I guess you could treat it as stars. Can you get zero stars? We've given zeros
0: before for other things. Yeah. We've given okay. science. So a zero. in your
2: universe. Then you get a zero. Okay. I feel fine with zero. Like (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I just
0: so should we give writing a zero? I think so. Yeah, okay.
1: Have we not just spent the last hour and a half ripping this (laughs) script
0: apart? Yeah. (laughs)
2: Like (laughs) there was positivity was near (laughs) zero percent. You're right.
0: I just I don't like giving out zeros. That's fair. But I think this
2: does deserve it though. Would it have been better if it wasn't written at all? Yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. It would have. Okay. If like you're treating it as like a paper assignment, like you might as well not have turned to dead. (laughs) Okay. Acting. I think the acting was pretty good. Yeah. It was definitely the higher scoring of the thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Martha was good. Martha was good. David Tennant did a great job of being an asshole. Usually <laughs> nails it. <laughs> uh I think Shakespeare was good. Like to your point, Lucia, I think that was a good portrayal of Shakespeare not being boring.
1: I would have been significantly more mad if Shakespeare had been portrayed as this like uptight classist asshole. That
0: would have been a whack. Yeah.
1: That would have been the worst.
0: I did like the part where the doctor was like, he always chooses the most beautiful words. And then he opens with shut your big fat mouths.
2: Yeah. Oh, that was another overlap with haunting. Totally forgot this. But of course, when the doctor is introducing the writers in the room, opening up the door and she's really hyping them up and they're, you know, playing games as they open the door.
0: <laughs> and they all like collapse on the floor.
2: <laughs> yeah. They're just up to, like, they're shenanigans and she's a little bit embarrassed. How much she hyped the up. it was exact same energy
1: yeah so
0: five yeah i give the acting a five gotta bring it up somewhere science okay um non-existent (laughs) so sky the science doesn't have to make sense as science it has to make sense as logic Mm -hmm. like it doesn't have to make scientific sense it has to make logical sense (laughs) So it shouldn't be called science. It should be called logic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sci-fi
2: show. I see where you're going.
1: Yeah, no. The line that the doctor uses about how like he used numbers, the Carrier use words to do the same thing. That idea of the melding of science and poetry, which is why the opening line pisses me off so much about Martha being curious and wanting to figure it out. About how the time travel works and the doctor dismissing her because at its like heart at its core science is about one day, is about you know magic it is about an appreciation and love of the universe which the doctor knows and <laughs> also he 100% taught Rose how to do the TARDIS so eh. meh meh um, right. <laughs> but in terms of like the internal logic of this episode specifically
0: i feel like um, the internal logic of this episode makes a lot of sense the internal yeah. logic of this episode feels solid to me yeah
1: like i can't think of
0: one where i'm like no i can actually the naming not working more than once doesn't make sense to me but like they made the rule which is like how it works but the rule doesn't make logical sense <laughs> It could be an immunity thing or like a recency thing. But it doesn't... Okay, fine. I also don't like it because it makes Martha look foolish. No, we
1: can give it a... Do you want to give it
0: a four? Let's give it a four. Four, yeah. Yeah. Rewatchability. (laughs) Before I rewatched this episode, I would have said it had a high rewatchability rating. Now.
1: (laughs) Having recently (laughs) rewatched... Having recently rewatched it... (laughs)
2: Um, I never yeah, want to watch it again. I, think I would be fine with that. That is definitely my I would position.
0: Be, I never want to watch this episode again. Right. It's been enough. Yeah. Let's give it a zero. And then because I decided to be smart this time, I'm clever. I plugged all the numbers into an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Bing, bang, boom. It automatically generated the percentage for me. This got a 48%. <laughs> Solid F. That feels right. That feels fitting. I'm really upset though, because this means that Rose's seasons are going to do better than Martha's season. (laughs) And I don't want that for my girl.
2: It feels a little bit like your fault for rating Smith and Jones solo in my opinion, (laughs) but there are some good ones to come. So hopefully bumps up there.
1: I'm really excited to talk about gridlock. I'm really excited yeah. to talk about um I'm nervous actually to talk about uh human nature and family of blood because I have strong positive memories with this, and then Talia came in and was like, no, mm.
0: so and we have a guest for that episode that I don't know how they feel about it. Mm. I know they have strong feelings about it, but I don't know whether or not they're positive or negative. And then gridlock the dalek episodes lazarus 42 which i remember really liking and then there's utopia sound of drums and last of the time lords yeah. aka the slavery episodes Yay. <laughs> uh. yeah no you hate to see it hmm. sky i feel like you understand why i hate that episode
2: there's a lot of that and that's why having a um... Rewatched this season. (laughs) I'm like hyping up Smith and Jones in my head and giving you all a hard time. But for all I know, I could rewatch it and um, feel a similar way y'all feel about rewatching Shakespeare Code.
0: I was really looking forward to rewatching Smith and Jones. And the funny thing is, I had recently rewatched it actually. And I really liked it the last time I rewatched it, which was only a few months ago. And then I rewatched it again specifically for the podcast. And I was like, oh no, Rewatching it critically is bad. No, sad.
1: I think, unfortunately, one of the things about Martha's season is she is the first Black companion. So there are a lot of missteps and a lot of, like, not great.
0: She's also the rebound companion.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of things about how just generally Martha is treated That makes watching season three difficult.
0: She's also the only Black solo companion. Hey, I have to hop off. Um, Yeah, sorry. After the grading, we were wrapped up. This is just shop talk. Yes, sorry. Um, (laughs) So thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
1: You're very welcome. It's been lovely having you, Skye, and we look forward to seeing everything that you and do in the future and we'll of course
0: be
2: listening yeah oh yeah uh stay cosmic y'all and i'll see you next time
0: see ya, see ya. bye bye
1: thank you for listening to the wibbly wobbly timey wimey podcast
0: we hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time
1: you can find us elsewhere on the internet on twitter tumblr and instagram at wibbly follow us for more wibbly wobbly content
0: you can find out more information about us and our content on wibblywobblytummywummy.net, and full transcripts for episodes at wibblywobblytummywummynet slash transcripts.
1: If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can also send us an email at wibblywobblytummywummypod@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
0: Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other platforms as it helps other people find us and our content.
1: If you'd like to support us, you can send us a donation at paypal.me
0: wibblypod. Special thanks to our editor, Dee, who has been a vital member of the Wibbly Wobbly team. That's all for now. Catch you in the Time Vortex.